Hello, church family. Uh, this is the fourth Q&A that we're doing, and uh, it's fun just kind of filtering through some of the questions and trying to figure out the best way to answer these. Um, uh, I think that if I was to categorize some of the questions that we have today, there these are, uh, I guess, general Christian-like type questions. Um, again, these are good questions, uh, and hopefully this, these questions are helpful and just know that in a Q&A thing like this, uh, I, won't, I won't touch every little aspect of it, especially some of the questions that's here today, but I'll just do my best to summarize. And if you have further questions, feel free to just send in more questions. Um, but the first question we have here is, this person apparently is new to our church. Uh, the question is, uh, they're new to SFBC and how can they get plugged in? And I think this was probably sent in around the time of the COVID-19. So uh, actually, yeah, it was because we started this around the COVID-19. My bad. Uh, so how would you get plugged in in the context of this of being COVID-19? You know, it, it, this is one of those things that's hard for the church as a whole because everything at this point is very digital. And it could be that by the time you hear this, things are different, or maybe the shelter in place will be loosened up, and maybe you guys can uh, are able to go out and meet each other again. Um, but I think in, at right now, let's assume for a second that the COVID-19 shelter in place will be here for a while. Um, that it'll be hard for us to be able to meet. Uh, maybe things might get loosened, uh, but it's, let's just think worst case scenario first. I think the best way to do to just build those uh, relationships now is just to cont- it's consistency, uh, that you go to the Friday nights or you uh, show up to the Sunday morning. And I think one of the things that we're trying to implement as well is that um, you send us, uh, like, you send it to, I think, info as a Bible where you're a new visitor, um, that you're new and you want to have Christian fellowship. Maybe you're in the local area and you wanted to, uh, you know, get plugged into a church, but this whole thing kind of made it hard for you to meet. Um, but yeah, feel free to just email uh, at the church or even like email me. I would love to get to know you and if uh, yeah, get to know you, hear your testimony, how, uh, you know, hear how you hear about our church. Uh, but you know, those Friday night discussion groups is, is is I think a good way to start building those relationships. You guys will talk with one another in a group setting, uh, so it's not strange and awkward. Um, but yeah, get a chance to. Uh, and as you kind of you know get to see each other just on you know the internet, you guys will eventually branch off. Hopefully, just branch off even outside of that. You can call each other or email each other um, outside of that Friday night context. Um, and this is even the uh, exhortation to the church body now, like the ones that are faithful and join heirs are faithful in the church. That uh, that we are mindful of those that are new. Uh, that we try to follow up with them the best way that we can, that we strive to make it a habit to follow up with those who are new. Um, you know, we want to be as welcoming as we can with the limitations that we have. Um, so, you know, get to know each other. I think a lot of you guys are doing these, like, online um, game things or game nights or things that you guys can hang out with each other. And these are all good ways in which you can cultivate uh, friendships with one another. Um and, you know, we long for the day where we can see each other and hang out, go to restaurants together and, um, you know, go hang out in public places. But until then, this is kind of, we just have to be creative with what we have with the Internet. Um, I, th- I know that some people in our church right now are doing like dinner dates where uh, they would just um, have, you know, I guess they'll all t- set, sync, uh, synchronize a time to meet and then they just eat together 
um, different meals and oh, just in front of the computer screen. And that's cool. That's a, a fun way to um, you know enjoy each other's company uh, and you know be able to hang out. Um, so things like that, you know, find ways in which you guys can have fun with each other and get to know each other some more. Uh, but just be very intentional, uh, be consistent. I think those are the, just the general principles that um, that we can live by during this time. The second question deals with, uh, I would say, sin issues. Uh, the, the two in particular here, <clears throat> let's talk about anger and lying. Uh, how do I overcome anger in my life or being mad at family members or friends and even lying how do I overcome that in my life uh, so I'll deal with uh, I'll deal with the lying first and then I'll deal with uh, anger later um, I think the Bible's really clear when it comes to anger that God hates oh no sorry when it comes to lying God hates anger too but then uh, that particularly with lying God is really against lying um, Proverbs 6, verse 16 to 19 reads this, There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, which is a proud, a lying tongue, and that there, there it is, a lying tongue. And verse 19, James, a false one who utters lies and, and one who spreads strife among others. These are things that the Lord hates. Uh, he hates those that tell a lie. And the reason why God hates lying is because God is a God of truth. He made us to reflect him, to be able to speak truth and not be lying. Like that's not what Christians are supposed to be. That's not even what humanity is supposed to be. But because of our sinful nature, we're drawn to uh, to those things. Uh, Proverbs 12, verse 19, Truthful lips will be established, but a lying tongue is only for moments. Um, basically, liars don't last forever. Um, and uh, we see even in the New Testament, we're called to put away lying, uh, to speak the truth. Um, I'm thinking right now, Colossians. Let me flip there real quick as so I can read it. Colossians. Maybe this actually goes with anger as well, but uh, Colossians 3, verse 8. But now you also put them all aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you've laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed to true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Um, so as Christians, uh, lying is, you have to see lying as the worst thing. And I think sometimes we think of like, oh, what about white lies? Or um, uh, we put on these put these hypothetical situations where we can't lie. I think I think you know what a true lie is. I mean, that sounds like the truth, like what a true lie, but what, 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 real, what lying really is. Uh, lying is a form of deception to try to uh, get someone to believe something that isn't true. And for Christians, uh, that's not what we're supposed to do. We're called to speak the truth in love. Um, we need to be people that uh, are not like the world. The world likes to manipulate situations so they can get what they want, but no, we, we can't. I mean, I think for me, one of the things I, I know I need to work on in my life that is actually considered a lie is exaggerations. You know, do you ever consider that exaggerations or, or like downplaying certain things that are considered lies because they're not the whole truth? You know, it's better that we don't say anything to, than to exaggerate the, the situations in our life um, because that's not what really happened. And we need to be people 
that are very mindful and really tame the tongue. Um, James uh, talks a lot about how we need to make sure that we control the small part of our our, our body. Uh, James chapter 3, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that such will incur a stricter judgment for all. Stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. But if we put the bit into horse's mouth so, that we, so they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. And, uh, and then it describes a ship. And then verse 5, So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a force is set aflame by such a small tongue. The tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as which defiles the entire body. It's just a fire of the course of our life and is set on the fire by hell. See, this is like the dangers of that one little part of our body that like, can just cause so much damage. And lying does that. Lying causes you more problems in your life. But, the, but understand that no matter how much you lie, the Lord can see straight through it. The Lord knows your heart. And you can lie to anyone and everyone and fool all of us. But the one that you uh, need to be afraid of is the Lord. Because he sees and knows every thought and intentions um, of your heart. So that's the lying part. Um, when it comes to anger, you know, anger is something that I think I've shared through this Esther series, that the, the, right, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Uh, you can't expect to be honoring to the Lord if you live a life of anger. Um, Ephesians 4, verse 26 tells us uh, that we should be angry and do not sin. <clears throat> do not let the sun go down your anger. So there is a sense that, like, yeah, you can be angry, but there's a line in which if you cross, if you let the anger control you, then you are in sin. Galatians 5, 20, this is... Uh, regarding the, the fruits of the flesh. And now, now these are of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, envy, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. The, the, all of these things are considered the deeds of the flesh. In fact, Matthew 5, 21 to 26 tells us that God sees anger as murder in our own hearts. Like, he doesn't view your road rage the way that you view it. He sees your road rage as murder, uh, and you need to take sin seriously. First John 2.9 uh, tells us that uh, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. And First John uh, 1.20, uh, sorry, James 1.20 was, is the passage on um, uh a righteous, the, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. But if you look at, at the, throughout uh, First John, it's, it's obvious that um, anger and hatred towards one another does not does, is, is evidence that you don't love the Lord. And I think with both anger and lying, I understand that as humans, we're going to be wrestling with sin. We're going to wrestle with sin, and we're, there's going to be moments where we will fall into like an angry type sin, um, and there's going to be times we'll fall into uh, lying as well. Um, but I think the difference between someone that's a believer and a non-believer is that a believer will progressively be, will do it less. I mean, I think a believer is even sensitive to the idea that anger and lying is wrong. 
or to think non-believers in the context of the church tries to always justify their anger or lying. You know, they'll just dismiss it. They'll think, oh, it's okay if I lie on my uh, taxes or if I, um, if I just get angry at my coworkers. Like, no, these are not okay. Uh, the Christian is called to put away those things. And how do you do that? How do we put away those uh, those types of sins in our life? I think the most obvious answer is that we need to cherish the gospel. <clears throat> we need to see that all of these moments of anger, all of these moments of lying that we've committed is a sin against the Lord. Uh, these are things that, uh, that nailed him to the cross, that Christ died for these sins. So why would we return back to the sin that Christ died for? Um, you know, it was crucified on the cross with him. And that's Colossians uh, 2.14. Uh, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which is hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So if it's true that we believe this and we see how much it costs for us to be made right with the Lord through the death of his son, then we don't want to go back to that sin. Um, I think that having a greater affection for the Lord will drive you towards a greater hatred of sin. Um, so as you read your Bible, as you understand theology more and how big and great our good our God is, it should make you not want to strive after sin, but to put off anger and put on peace and, and put off lying lips put on truth-telling. Um, again, it's not a behavioral thing, uh, but it's a heart thing. You, you first love the Lord, and then these things about you know, anger and lying, these and whatever sin, will eventually fall into place. Third question, I'm going to assume a lady wrote this because the question is, what does submission look like to a weak husband? And the second and follow-up with this is, at the same time, what does submission look like to a weak church leader? So that's like, I guess, the two questions. But I'm going to focus the first one first. And I'll answer in order. So what does uh, submission look like to a weak husband? I think if, you, if, you're, if you've been listening uh, through the Esther series, an example of a weak husband is King Asherah's, the Xerxes. Because this guy was swayed by every single emotion, he had no convictions, and he he just kept he had he just kept seeking foolish advice from people, and he had no idea what he wanted to do. And he was a madman. He was impulsive. He did whatever he wanted in the moment. He had no self control. I think that's an example of what it looks like if, in a context of uh, in a marriage. Um, I guess it's funny because this question assumes that you married someone knowing that he's a, a weak husband. And even before I answer this part, we need to define what it means to be weak. Because I think sometimes we think um, we think personality is, act, is a character trait. But really, I think character and personality are two different things. A person can have like a timid personality, but yet his moral character is... His character is amazing. You know, a character is is a is a consistent conviction. He's living out biblical truths. He's uh, he. It's a moral issue. He, he knows right and wrong. He sticks to it, um, no matter what happens. He'll always, you know, for example, he'll always stick to um, 
working hard uh, because of what the Bible tells him. He, that he's, uh, his conviction to love the wife, he'll, he'll do these things. Uh, these are character. I think sometimes we mistake in personality, like a, like a timid personality means he's a weak character. And I don't think that's the case. I think a person could be like soft-spoken, but yet still be a good leader. I think we naturally look towards the more outspoken people and think, oh, those are the leaders. Those are the ones that are uh, the strong men in the church. But that's not always so. Um, in fact, I would say that a lot of the guys that are very humble uh, and will, be, will make awesome husbands, they're actually the ones that get looked over, whereas the ones that like, stand out the most, they're, they're seen as like the greater leaders or whatever. They may not always be the best husband because that's just all external. Um, you want to find someone that has character, that that they have, they live a consistent pattern of faithfulness to the Lord, um, because a marriage is a it's a marathon. It's gonna be it's gonna take a lot of work in order to make it God honoring and joyful and and you know honoring to the Lord. Um, so and and like someone that has a good personality but has has a bad character is not someone you want to find. Um, and just to put things in perspective, too, um, you know, Paul was viewed as like a weak person by the church of Corinth. You know, but if some of you, if you met the Apostle Paul, it, he may not stand out to you. So when you, if you ask me out, uh, I might not, I don't know, what, I, I might not go out with him because he looks kind of weird or he's not as like outgoing as I would like. But, you know, Paul, obviously, it's like maybe the godliest person second to Jesus, you know. Um, so we don't we don't want to look at personality per se. You don't want to look at their hobbies per se. You don't want to even look at their dress um, per se. Uh, you know, First Samuel talks about that. Like uh, man looks at the outward, but the Lord looks at the heart. Uh, so you want to find someone with consistent character, someone that's godly, uh, and you know the personality stuff, preferences. These things they'll come and go. These things don't really matter. Find someone with uh, with with godly character and godly convictions because that's the one that's that's going to have a long it's going to care for you in the long run to answer the second question what does submission look like in a to a weak church leader uh again much like the husband it i think in both cases if you're married to someone that's weak first of all you marry you chose that person so you you have to stick with it you have you still have to submit uh to that person lovingly and uh, pray for them diligently that the Lord will use them. But if you chose someone that is a weak leader, then that in some ways it's kind of your fault because um, you should have known this beforehand. But uh, when it comes to the church, though, that's, that might be a little bit harder because once you're in, you, know, you might go visit a church and see a lot of good things. But over time, you might recognize um, maybe like uh, areas where there's like shortcomings and weaknesses. Um, but at the same time, with both in terms of the husband and in the church, you're still called to be faithful to the Lord regardless of what type of husband or what type of church you're in. And, and I see that in Hebrews 13, verse 17, where it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So that's one thing. Even if you're in a church that has a weak leader, you're not held accountable to how they care for you. They will be, they meaning like the elders or pastors of the church, will have to give an account on how they shepherded, uh, defended the truth, guarded the truth, fed the flock. That's on them. Uh, but yet, at the same time, at the end of this verse, 
It says, let them do this with joy and not with grief, so this would be profitable for you. Meaning, like, you submit to your leaders because it's, 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 it's for your good. It's, it, it profits you to submit to leadership. Um, I think, uh, and again, as we think about church leadership and husbands, you have to define what weak means. Um, there are many churches who on the surface may not have like a John MacArthur alpha dog type elder board, but they're, but they are <clears throat> humble, godly individuals. They may not come with, <clears throat> come up with the most innovative church ideas. They may not come up with coolest, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, carpet ideas or de- decor for the church or dress a certain way. But like the husband one, you want to look at their character. <clears throat> Excuse me. You want to look at whether or not their lives match up with scripture. If, excuse me, I drink, I drink something. If you look at a church and their elder board is corrupted, it doesn't matter how, how much of a vision they have of the church. It doesn't matter if they have dynamic personalities. If they are living immoral lives, then you should leave that church. Don't stay in there because these guys are defaming the name of Christ. Now, again, that's different from marriage, because marriage, if you marry someone that's weak character, unless they, like, like have an affair or something, you have to stick with that. You have to constantly be faithful and praying for them. So to answer both of them, your role as a Christian must be to the Lord first. You must submit to him and trust that he will work things out. If you're in a marriage with a weak husband, pray for him, lovingly come alongside him to encourage him, um, to, to be the husband that God expects him to be and not what you want him to be. And that's more about character as opposed to personality. You know, if a person is, if a person is, the husband, let's say, is not like, doesn't take initiative, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's not a good leader. He may just lead differently. And again, you have to just, in your mind, figure out what the word weak means because that's a very subjective term. Um, in the context of my family, I may be viewed as a weak leader if you were to compare me to someone else. But if you ask Kelly, she loves being under my leadership. Um, but it really depends how you define strong and weak. Um, and again, I think the more important question is look at the character of the person. Um, there are a lot of kinks in churches and in marriages but or the husbands, uh, but just keep praying for them. And also understand, like, with the context of the church, Paul was viewed as someone that was ugly, um, a coward, and not good-looking. If you read the book of Second Corinthians, it's implied that Paul himself would not have made it to like the most, you know, alpha again, alpha dog uh, type leadership. He's he's just faithful. Second um, Corinthians implies that Paul maybe maybe have like some sort of speech problem, like he may not be good at speaking. Um, I mean, even Moses was like that, right? He had to have Aaron to speak for him. Um, and in those characters, both of these characters, they love the Lord. They humbly submit to the Lord and they live godly lives and they led the people um, to the Lord. Uh, and, to, and, that's, and that's what you want to look for. You want to look for faithfulness, both in terms of your church leaders and in terms of the spouse that you either have or are looking for. Again, personalities, it's just kind of like if you were to parallel to the church, it would just be like the um, the non-essentials in the church. Um, those things can come and go, but you want to look for the ones that is cl- as closely 
living out or walking closely with the Lord as possible, as much as we can. Um, so that's how what you want to look for. Okay, hopefully this is helpful. I hope it was clear enough to try and explain, uh, you know, the, all of these different questions. And if you have any more questions or follow-up questions, uh, feel free to just send it in again. Uh, I look forward to answering more of these questions to help uh, you think through things about theology and life. Okay, take care. Bye.